Chronic illness can be an all-consuming experience. I have suffered with chronic illness for over 20 years, and there is no doubt managing a chronic condition can be a full-time job with no perks or time off. It affects every facet of your life, but you are not alone. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments and coping strategies they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to the I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am very excited to dive into part three of the interview with disabled and chronic illness warrior Anya Khan. If you haven't listened to part one or two, I would highly encourage you to go back and check them out. Not only does Anya have an incredible story, but also a really interesting perspective. This week, Anya shares how she manages the fear of the unknown, how she became what she says an accidental entrepreneur, and how being visible with her disability has changed her career, her life, and her perspective. Anya's journey with illness started at birth, where most symptoms were overlooked until she was about 19, when Anya knew something was very, very wrong. 20 more years passed before she got any answers. With determination, Anya was eventually diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos type 3, dysautonomia, mast cell disease, POTS, PTSD, craniocervical instability, hiatal hernia, dysphagia, vocal cord dysfunction, neurodiversity, and esophageal dysmotility. Anya says acceptance of her conditions and of who she is and where she is in her life gives her strength and fuels her passion for her art, her business, and her life's purpose. Anya is a remarkable artist and photographer and a proud and certified disabled business owner of a web design, SEO, and digital marketing agency called Rise Visible, which places values first while making web design, SEO, and digital marketing easy for all. Rise Visible has been named top-ranking woman-owned digital agency by Clutch and created the Rise Above Be Visible podcast, offering strategies and tips to help other small businesses and entrepreneurs. I will, of course, include both her art and photography website and the Rise Visible website in the episode description. Now let's tune into the rest of Anya's interview. And that fear, like it makes so much, even the pain, and I know I have to calm myself down and, you know, I, I know how to do it now. Like I know the tools, but at the same time, that initial, like, <laughs> like what? Oh no, 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 no body. Like we're going to, you're going to cooperate with me. Like I have a whole conversation with my body. Like it listens to me, but we like to pretend it does. That's good. But I'm like, listen up, you know, like you behave, don't do that to me. But how do you do that? Like, how do you do, I mean, you just kind of push it out of your mind, like, and just try to focus on the present. I mean, how do you do it? It's strange because I just had a search a situation recently where, so I moved to Idaho, right? I moved from Oregon to Idaho to get better support for EDS. And since I've been here without the pollen and the mold, cause I'm, I'm like definitely allergic to grass, like for like June, July and like, I say, I'm sorry, May, June, July. I mean, at one point during COVID, because I didn't go out much when I even went outside, I would have an allergic reaction. 
the good thing with mast cell now, I want to preface this so people understand for years, I had no medication. I had nothing that would stop it. So it was like, I was standing on a ledge and I never knew when it was going to happen. I just had to accept it. Like there was, there was nothing that could um, help it at all. It was just like, I don't know what the trigger is going to be and it's going to be wild and uncomfortable. And I'm probably going to end up in the urgent care of the emergency room. Like I did oftentimes numerous times a month. It's just the way it was again, with people telling me I was crazy. So in 18, when they went to give me medication, I told them no, because I was already fairly stable. Like I had mentioned earlier, right. You're like, I don't want to mess with this. No, thank you. I'm good. But then a year later in 18 is when I ended up having such a bad spring. And I went into an urgent care after, after like weeks and having people sitting with me and my partner was taking days off work and it was so bad. And I finally went into the emergency room and I was hysterically crying. And I'm just like, I feel like I want to die. I can't explain it to you. Like what it feels like mast cell reactions. It just, it feels like everything in your body's buzzing, your heart's pounding, your vision's screwed up. You just feel like you're under like these great amounts of just attack. It's a form of an allergic reaction. Anaphylaxis can be anywhere from a one to a 10. I mean, I don't know the numeric, you know, number scale exactly, but anaphylaxis doesn't just stay at it at like, you're going to die. You need an EpiPen. There's variations of allergic reactions. So when I went in there, they basically said to me, I, I told them what was going on. And I said, you know, I now know that I have this and the nurse goes, I know what that is. I had a reaction and I'm not going to put you in for psych. And I just started crying. It's the first time in my life, somebody did not have me evaluated for psych. Wow. I was given medication and within an hour I was sleeping, which I don't, I didn't sleep barely ever. And then I went from having two to five allergic reactions a week down to two to five a month. And this is where I'm getting to the story. So then I just kind of lived the way it is. And then when I moved to Idaho, which was, I mean, like a month ago, two months ago, 45 days ago, I don't know. It was, it was like what June, May, April. I left April 1st. I got here April 15th. I have been forgetting my medication in the middle of the day. And I, which I need it. Like my body tells me. So I take hydroxyzine three times a day for allergic reactions. My body tells me by two, three o'clock, I I'm, I'm buzzing. And my body's like, do something to make it better. And I kept forgetting the medication and my life has been better. I've been feeling healthier here. I'm not under a lot of duress. I wasn't living in a great area. There was a lot of other stressful circumstances in where I was living. And the beautiful thing is, and this is getting to what you're saying, I know this is a long diatribe, but I got, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing so good. And maybe I don't need that medication. And then all of a sudden, couple of nights ago, I woke up with a severe allergic reaction at night and it set me back. I had been exploring. I'd been in my car more. I had been going into stores I'd never gone into. Like during COVID, I really cracked down. I didn't do anything. And when I got here, my world opened and I pushed my limits. Right. And, and there's a lot of fear in everything I'm doing. Right. So every boundary I push, yes. it's fearful, but I'm doing good. But then you push just a little too far. You do that one thing. Like, I think it was that I stopped taking that medication that over time, I think people know when you take medication, it doesn't just like stop that day. It probably takes four to five days for that to kind of leave your system. And that was at about four to five days where my body was like, we need that still. Like, we're not ready for you to just drop that. And I had such a bad reaction 
And I was supposed to leave the house that next morning. And I didn't even know what to do. I was like, I don't even know. Like, I can't even at this point, because I think the thing that you're talking about and what people often experience with flares, especially when they're extreme or, or, or violent or really cause such a distressing circumstance is we think about the amygdala in our brain, right? And every time something extreme happens, there's a ding. Think about it like a record player. Somebody explained this to me a long time ago, and it's a record. And every time you have something extreme happen, it dings that record. So every time that record goes by that, it gets that ding, right? And it's hard not to remember that ding, but if you keep getting dinged and dinged and ding, it causes so much patterns of being so fearful. And so don't think there's any way to make it any better, except right. for just recognizing that this is kind of what's going to happen. I think when we think that it may not happen or kind of have all those hopes, like we're doing so good. And then it's, it's an unrealistic expectation for us to not think that that's going to happen. But as human beings, I'm sure you feel the same. There's that like, oh, it's been a month or it's been two weeks or, or I'm doing really well. And then all of a sudden you're faced with that damn brick wall again. And it, it's, it's levels you. It does. It really it just, does. It, it took everything, everything I had. And I was, you know, you by myself and I, I knew I had to settle myself because I think I was starting a panic attack. Like I was so amped up about it. Like I was just like, no, 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 you know, but then I was like, okay, you need to calm down. Like, you know, you're going to get through the flare. You'll be fine. Like it's, but you gotta, you gotta breathe. And, you know, I knew to meditate. I knew to, to take myself down. It was not easy, but you know, it took, it took, uh, it took time. It took more time than I thought it would, because I used to get, you know, more bad days so I could click on that, you know, message quicker. Uh, but then I thought about it. I was like, I'm going to appreciate the fact that, uh, I haven't had them as much. So I'm like, I'm going to just look at it like that, but it's, it is, it's a, it's a ever growing, changing process that you just kind of have to weave in and out to, I wanted to kind of shift a little because I really want to know more when I did find you and found your site. First, I actually found your art and photography, which always excites me because I, like I said, I'm not very artistic in that way. Like I don't mind writing and things like that, but art or like anything like in photography, like I'm okay, but I'm not great but I enjoy like looking at it. Like I enjoy the beauty in it, but then to, to go over to your rise visible page and see the, you know, the company that you made that, and the designs you do for the web design and, you know, web and digital design. I mean, it is, it's amazing. I mean, the creativity, but also what you're doing for other small entrepreneurs and you know, by the podcast, by even just sharing the, you know, what you do. I don't know. It just, it was really cool. And I was wondering, you know, when did that start? When did you start Rise Visible and kind of, can you share a little bit more about it and what you do and kind of the meaning to you? Sure. So it was an, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> I like that. Um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit though. Let me tell you, I have a picture of myself when I was like, I want to say like five sitting at my grandma's table with an old rotary phone, a, a pencil in hand that was like spiraled with Santa on it. And I had a bunch of um, books of wallpaper and I was like, oh, I'm an interior designer. Right. So it's always been there. <laughs> right. 
but that's not at all what I was nurtured to be. There was nothing that nurtured for art, nothing. Like it was just like you go to school and you do something within the world. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be a therapist and that was my like life's goal is to come in and, and be a therapist and help people get through um, whether or not it's child abuse or all those other, you know, traumatic experiences to have a better life, because I felt like I've gone through enough that perhaps I could help. Right. And in that I moved States, I moved from Michigan to St. Louis. And I was very excited to go to school and start a new life, kind of move away from my home environment, which I thought was really great to uproot myself and change what I was, uh, what was around me. And I was on my way to my first job. I was doing dental assisting and had right out of high school because it was really good money and you didn't have to get a degree. And Mm -hmm. so it really helped me afford going to college or, you know, the lifestyle I wanted to live. And I was on my way to that job. I hadn't been in the state for very long. I didn't know the roads. I'm kind of like how I am now. Like I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't know the highways. I didn't know where the grocery store was. I was trying to make my way with like a paper map. Like, you know, oh, paper maps. I don't miss those at all. <laughs> you know, the paper map. And I got in to the office, very sweet. And within about an hour, I heard somebody screaming from the break room. And I went to the break room and it was 9-11. And I was in a new state, around seven or so people that I had met for like an hour. You know, I, I, it was just not okay for me. Like I just couldn't do it. And so I just said like, I gotta go. And I left yeah. <laughs> and I didn't return. <laughs> you know, I just didn't go back. You know, I'm an adult now, a different age bracket. Maybe I would have handled that differently, but I was in in very much a a scary, uncomfortable, I don't know what this means. I don't know anybody. I'm in a place I don't know, which is really kind of exciting and scary at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I basically lost that job. And then dental, people were not really hiring for dental. Orthodontists and things like that weren't hiring right after that. Like the hiring kind of stopped. So I went in. I donated time for the Red Cross and helped there for a little while until I started kind of running out of money. And then I was like, what do I do? So at that time, not only had I lost my job, it was 9-11. My mom got cancer. You know, I was having a lot of health issues that again, for, you know, I was like, what, 20 something. So from 19, you know, I was, I was seeing doctors, no one knew. And I just had to figure out like, what could I do? And so I had been doing web and graphic design for fun since 1998. Like I had been building websites for friends. I I did music. So I, I, you know, ran a record label and I built, you know, album covers and built websites. And so I thought, well, maybe I could use that as a career. So not a career. I just thought like, maybe I can make some money at that point. I'm not just like make some money, not really a career. So I reached out to somebody I knew. And they, they actually worked for an agency and I went, I went to go for a job interview and I was totally stoked. Mind you, I'm self-taught and everything. And they were very nice, but gently kind of opened the door and said, see you in about five to 10 years. Like, you know, like you're not up to where we need to be. So then I started reaching out to people I knew jobs, little things kind of came in and over the next numerous years, that's how I made money through doing art, 
And then also these web design jobs, or I would do, you know, photography for like apartment complexes, or I would do graphic design before Canva, you know, those kinds of things. I was doing code. I loved it. You know, so it wasn't only I'm very right and left brain. So it wasn't just being creative. There was also this like code aspect of it that I really loved to uh, do that part of it with websites, HTML and CSS and all that stuff. And then that just continued on and continued to be this like low level thing in my life that, you know, barely made it, you know, and then in 2018, there was a big shift in my life and I was with my health, with the medications. And I said, let's take this up a next level. Let me see what I can do here. And from 18 till now, it's just really grown. And then by the time I got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos in 2021, then I rebranded and shift kind of the whole model. And then that's when I also decided that I just was not going to shut up anymore about my disorders because I had kept it private. I didn't really Mm -hmm. say anything. I also, you know, own a web design, digital marketing agency, SEO, which is not female dominated. It's a very male centric uh, career to have. So I often didn't put my face on my website. I kind of kept that off. And in 2021, I was like, I'm done. If people don't want to work with me because I have EDS and this whole long line of diseases, this genetic mishaps, then I don't care because I'm an advocate. I've been very lucky to have found a way to be an entrepreneur. And the thing is that people don't understand. And I didn't recognize until later on until my advocacy is that entrepreneurship is very common with chronic illness because you can control your environment. You can control your hours. It gives you the flexibility you need and also retracts the guilt that you have from not being able to show up when you can't show up. If you are a very respectable, responsible individual, which I am, which would eat me. So I just went out there and I, I, I hustled and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to do it hard. And my partner lost his job from COVID. And I said, well, come work with me. And then we built empires. And last year we hit our first six six figure year and it was epic. Like I want to cry just saying that, like I never thought, and I may never get to do it again, but I worked the hours I worked, the time I worked, the advocacy I did even if this was one year and I couldn't do it again, I never thought I would ever see that. I mean, of course, when somebody hits that in gross, they don't bring that in, you know, I don't want people to think, oh yeah, you made a hundred thousand dollars, just walk away. You have to obviously pay your expenses and pay your taxes. And in the end, right. you know, it's an income between two people, but it was a goal that I had. And right at the end of the year, it was kind of interesting. I lost a client who kind of Oh, they just, they didn't even warn me. They didn't give me any notice. They just kind of changed what they wanted and they bowed out. And I was at a place of like almost hitting that. It was in what, it was right after. So I had that diagnosis in 2021. And then in 2022 at that time is when I think I mentioned I had that infection. So I was dealing with that infection at the same time and they kind of just dropped out. And they were one of my bigger clients and I thought I'm not going to make it. And I just turned it around and hustled and I made it right to the end. And I'm making more than I ever made with them gaining a couple other really great clients. They weren't horrible people. They just didn't, I don't think that it was respectable how I was let go. 
Sure. You know, as a contractor, I really am a communicator. Like, let's talk, let's give some lead time. Let's be really, you know, and so that, that threw me into a loop and I almost didn't make it. And I just said, nah, you know, opposition fires my ass truly, excuse my language, but it just does. And I did it. And, you know, I don't know about this year, but it's, it's been amazing. I help, you know, the digital world for me, Melissa is the only way I could talk to people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't go out and participate in normal ways. I can't network. So for me yeah. to build a six figure business without being able to network or go places or be in person, like people need to see you and be with you is extreme opposition. Yes. But during COVID, when so much went online and so much became digital it gave me so many more options as well as options for other businesses I work with to gain visibility or connect. I mean, the digital space is such an important space for those that are disabled Oh, and yes. being able to attend events or, or, you know, t- attend networking meetings or do different things that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Is it a result of something horrible like COVID? Absolutely. And that was just, it, it changed people's lives, but it also created accessibility in ways that we didn't even know we needed it. And even, you know, people who didn't know they needed it were like, this is amazing. And we're finding people that work from home actually are doing better work. There's actually studies that are proving that working from home, people create better work, but also, you know, there's mental health that go along with being home and alone all the time too. So hybrid is great because then you can kind of go in and and be around people too, but not have the pressure of anyway. So I digress, but anyway. That's incredible (laughs) that, that you, you know, when you decided to kind of make that known that you're like, yeah, I'm disabled. This is my illness. This is what it is. And I'm, you know, it's wonderful that you could do that because so many people, you know, and I, I've met many on this podcast, sure. you know, w- when they are working and they're terrified, they're Absolutely. terrified, especially when they have a boss, you know, it, it, and a lot of them end up working for themselves at the end of their, you know, process in a sense, uh, mm-hmm. because of the fear of being so open with their conditions. Sure, it's real though. It, I mean, oh, it's valid. It's hundred percent valid. So real. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, when we, I ended up opening up about EDS and all of that, it wasn't, but a month or so later is when I lost that contract. Is that why? Who knows? Right. Right. But, but I can't not lead with curiosity. Right. Absolutely, like I, yeah. So yeah, it, there is risk. There's there, I've lost numerous contracts where I've said, I can't actually meet you at your office in the middle of COVID because I had one person wanting to meet me in their office to see if they wanted to work with me. I said, I really can't go into a public building right now, but I'd be happy to do a Zoom. Or if this is really important and you really want me to meet you there, then let me know and I'll, I will make it happen. We'll just find off. And they basically just like, was like, nah, we don't want to do that. And so there is so much fear, whether or not you're working for somebody or you're working on your own. But you know, the other part of it, Melissa, is that there's other really big benefits, right? If you feel comfortable, you don't have to say anything. There's no obligation to say anything. Keep it totally private if you want to. I kept it private for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to do that. 
But I've also really learned that when people know me, they know where I come from. They know what I stand for. They know my tenacity. They know what I go through every day. And they know how empathetic I am and how much I really appreciate business as well as improving their business. I've had some of the best contracts and some of the best relationships not hiding behind this. Yeah. When I think having more people like you out there that are, you know, advocating that are out there publicly, you know, in business changes the landscape of business in itself and that it can show a disabled business owner as a successful person as someone that can do good business and not what, you know, people would automatically assume back in, you know, even not even that far. So I think, you know, being public is, is it's, it's important. I'm not saying it's wrong if you can't do that. I mean, you got to do what you got to do for you, but I think that for you, that's, that is incredible. So I love seeing that because, and it also helps, I mean, think about all the kids and things that are going to be coming up and that can have that. It's like, well, she did it and I can do it too. You know, it's, it's important for that kind of feeling to progress, especially in the disabled community so that they can see that. And then I think also tapping into, like I've had a few guests that are, you know, as well disabled and they have, they work and they have tapped into the resources available. Like they're not ashamed to do that and it helps them get their job done. And then they said, it's the only way I can do my work but it took me forever to do it, like to tap in, to really say, okay, I do need some accommodation. I do need special things here so that I can get the best job I can. And, um, but it's different for everybody. And, and that is the truth. But I think it, that's what is what I thought was really cool about what you do, because you are so open and, and I know that's not easy and, but it makes a difference and you're out there and you're, and you are literally visible. So it's, it's <laughs> nice, literally in your title. So I just think it's really cool. So I'm, I wanted to share with my listeners a little bit about it. Cause I just think it's a very important, uh, aspect of who you are as well as, you know, what, you know, I think honestly, people meeting these people, meeting you, meeting so many people in this community is just, it, it gives me such awe. Cause I'm just like, wow, you know, it's, it's incredible to meet people that handle such adversity and still, you know, are out there doing stuff like this. It's just incredible to me because it's not easy to do and Mm -hmm. at all. And it's just, it's very neat. And that doesn't mean everyone has to do that. I just, you know, I'm not trying to say that that's not for everybody. And like you said, it ebbs and flows. Like we're all going to, you know, who knows what we'll be doing in two years, you know, so Right. But at the but same also time, with disability too. People don't. People have judgments of what that actually means. Even yes. myself, right? Oh, like yeah, we all have ableism disabled. and judgments on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it's important to see entrepreneurs or people doing different things with disabilities because I think often people think disabled people are wheelchair users. Disabled mm-hmm. people are, you know having mental challenges and they definitely need a caregiver. And not that there isn't those types of disabilities. There's all types of disabilities. There's a whole spectrum of disabilities. And when I 
used to volunteer at Oregon Supported Living, for example. They are a, a, a program that helps disabled people live better lives. They help them with home care. They, they get them out in the world. It's an amazing a program. And I remember, it's kind of funny, I've always really gravitated towards those with disabilities. I've always wanted to be helpful or how can I improve their lives or what could I do? It, they just kind of felt like my tribe, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't know why. They just did. And it's interesting because then all of a sudden I actually had to verbalize that and recognize that I am disabled. I am. And I'm like, no wonder I thought that, you know, the people at Oregon Supported Living or other places that I volunteered or donated to or been, you know, a part of. It's because I we we share the same thing, although it's yeah. different and it's spectrum. But I think the world really looks at disability as being, you know, what is it? One in four people have a disability. So think about sitting in a room. You're sitting in a room with disabled people all the time and you don't even know it. Right. But people have this extreme view of it. And then I also think we need to work on even if people do have extreme disabilities or they are in a wheelchair and it's visibly, visibly, you can see the disability visibly. Wow. That is a tongue twister. It is. Visibility, visibility. That it's also how people treat people, right? Like I can hide it. People don't know, right? Yeah. But other people, I have friends that are in wheelchairs. I have friends that have, you know, severe schizophrenia. I have friends that have you know, very big challenges in their life that are visibly obvious. And they're regularly treated in uncomfortable ways, such as my friend in a wheelchair is regularly talked, baby talked to. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go this and that? Or did you want a seat? Or we'll talk directly to the person pushing her instead of talking to her like an adult woman, right? And so I think that that I think that people with invisible disabilities would be more willing to be visible or be more willing to talk because when we look at people that are visibly disabled, we see how we treat them. Even in my own right, when I started being around groups of disabled people, I was uncomfortable. It's normal. Yeah. It's not what you're used to. It's okay to be uncomfortable. But this is where you ask questions. You treat people like they're human. And just like Oregon Supported Living, they have this thing called look me in the eye. And it's like, we're they're human beings, right? Let's all treat people. And I think if we could just learn to be able to recognize that disabilities are just a part of life, just like out in nature, you're going to have trees that grow amazing and you're going to have trees that grow sideways and you have tulips that look great and other tulips are like, boop, we, you know, but it's, yeah. we're still, but we're still beautiful. Still here. We're still beautiful. Yeah, we're still just doing our own thing that we'll just, we'll be at a, at a better place. It's not easy being vocal about it. I really don't love that I have to accept this, but I feel like if I don't, I mean, I have almost a half a million people following me as an artist. It feels responsible for me as a person, maybe not other people, but for me right now in this moment to carry that as, as loudly as I can for the time being that I can, because I have watched other people do it and they have been my candles. They have been my, my lighted way. They have been 
it doesn't matter if somebody's remarkable. It doesn't mean that, you know, because sometimes people say, okay, glorific, let's gl let's not glorify people with disabilities. Like, oh, look at that person ran a marathon. They're disabled. Well, they're a human being. But there's still that beauty in seeing somebody just living life, period. Yes. That's it. Just living life. And that's, that's a perfect way to end this, I have to say. I think we just came full circle. That was incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. And uh, I will include the links to Rise Visible and to her art and photography in the episode description so that everybody can enjoy it. Because truly, it was fun to go through both uh, for me, doing like a little research type thing. I really enjoyed it. And I highly recommend so thank you so much for your time today. This was incredible and I really do appreciate it. And I, I'm excited to, to put it out there. So, and, and thank you to all my listeners again for tuning in. And I hope you tune in again next week to hear another amazing warrior story. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? please subscribe and leave a review. Or to learn more about the show or how to become a guest, simply visit our website at www.iamnotmypainpodcast.org. That is iamnotmypainpodcast.org. Your story matters. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.